I typically shy away from telling extreme stories because they are just that. They are extreme. And the extreme should not usually be taken as the norm, but I have to tell you this story. In Japan, in the 1950s, a woman became a believer in Christ. Her husband, who was not a believer, forbid her to go to church. But she knew that she must honor Christ and worship him, so she went to worship anyway. When she returned home, she discovered the door was locked, and she was forced to sleep outside for the entire night. When the husband opened the door the next morning, he beat his wife. She did not complain. She did not retaliate. Instead, she was very respectful to her husband, and she went about preparing his breakfast. And so it went for years. And though the beatings stopped, the door was always locked, and the woman always had to sleep on the porch after worship, no matter what the weather. And so to make a long story short, and at the risk of not giving full attention to the suffering of this woman, after many years of watching his wife's behavior, after seeing her devotion to Christ, and still to be a good wife to him in spite of his abuse, her husband became a believer in Christ because of the testimony of the life of his wife. Now, our culture would have a lot to say to this woman. They would probably abuse her more than her husband abused her for allowing herself to be abused. Would probably labor her as some sort of a sick codependent. They would label her with some psychological disorder that caused her to stay attached to her abuser. But I would guess that this wife would tell our culture to put a sock in it. Do you ever want to say that? Do you ever just want to say to our culture, put a sock in it? Do you? Y'all must be more Christian than I am because I want to do it all the time. But this woman wouldn't care for the rantings of any hashtag movement or any other movement telling her to demand her rights. The woman demonstrated this extreme obedience because she knew this is what the Lord was calling her to do. She considered the treatment was not significant in light of obedience to Christ and the hope that she had that her husband might become a believer in the Lord Jesus And he did. And can you imagine her joy in that moment when her husband loved the Lord as she loved the Lord, when an eternity in heaven awaited her husband? It makes me wonder why we consider this story extreme. Why should it not be the norm for your life and for my life of extreme obedience to the Lord? And trust the Lord with our lives and with the results. When we live our lives by the order of God, we cannot imagine the work that God might do through us. That's what I want to talk about as we return this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you would turn there 
And when you found your place in chapter 3, would you stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. This is the word of the Lord, 1 Peter, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for your word. It's your truth to our lives. It requires your spirit for us to understand and for us to obey. And so we pray now that as we come to your word, that your spirit would open our eyes and our hearts to your truth. Give us the courage to live by what you reveal to us this day, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Well, as we return for a second week, and there'll be more weeks after this, to this challenging passage where God orders our families by telling wives to submit to their husbands, today I'm just going to make three observations about this extensive passage. And the first observation is this. Extreme obedience requires a kingdom perspective. Extreme obedience requires a kingdom perspective. When Dr. Richard Pratt was with us a couple of weeks ago, as the keynote speaker for our missions conference, when he preached from this pulpit, he used the Lord's Prayer to set before us a, a beautiful compelling image of the kingdom of God and what it will be like when the kingdom of God comes to earth, when here on earth the will of God is done as it is in heaven. And he challenged us all to give our lives toward that end. Then during the equip hour when we went next door, Dr. Pratt took us to the second part of the Lord's Prayer, particularly the petition, give us this day our daily bread. And during that time, he gave this insight that has been thought-shifting for me. It's been prayer-shifting for me. And this is the insight that first and foremost, give us this day our daily bread is not a prayer for food for ourselves to eat every day. Instead, it's a prayer for the daily bread that will enable us to do the first part of the prayer, which is to seek the kingdom of God. It's a prayer that you and I will be sustained so that we will be able to do 
all that God has called us to do, to use the gifts that God has given us to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And so now I view the prayer, not from my individual lens of my individual life, but instead to see it with a kingdom perspective, to see myself and to seek my role as part of the glorious kingdom that God is building, to seek sustenance for my life so that I can be part of this great kingdom movement. And that's the choice that always confronts you and me. Will we look at life from a self-perspective or will we look at life from a kingdom perspective? Because to understand this command that we have before us this morning rightly, we have to view it not from a self-perspective, but from a kingdom of God perspective. This command isn't about limiting anyone. It isn't about promoting some sort of inequality or injustice. Its goal is not to draw from us, uh, now wait a minute, you don't mean to tell me that I can't response. That's not the way to look at it. Instead, we are to look for how God wants to use our families to reflect his kingdom on earth. The family is God's design, and he designed the family with a purpose. He created them, male and female. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. And so this growing family unit was to bear God's image in his garden sanctuary that he created. Was there a yet unseen glory that God intended to bring through the family? Were the elements of creation just the raw materials to be used by the family to enhance and extend the beauty and the glory of God on the earth? We can't answer those questions because sin entered the world and disrupted and marred God's order for the family. But we do know, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, that Christ is the second Adam, and he came to do perfectly what Adam failed to do. He came to reorder or to restore God's order. And that's what Peter's doing in this Holy Spirit-inspired command. He is reestablishing God's creation order for the family. How will God use our families, rightly ordered, to build his kingdom on this earth? I don't think we'll ever find out the answer to that question. If we limit this command to ourselves and to our individual lives, from a human perspective, it's too difficult. But from a kingdom perspective, Extreme obedience is possible. It'll call, cause us to, to call upon the Spirit of God and, and the power of the gospel to forget about ourselves, to consider others better than ourselves, 
to pick up our crosses and follow behind Christ as delighted, devoted disciples committed to his great kingdom cause. What glory is on the other side? If you and I will push through our cultural chaos and disorder, and if you and I will, above all else, seek first the kingdom of God, as Jesus tells us we ought to do. Extreme obedience requires a kingdom perspective. The second observation is this. Extreme obedience requires a shepherd's guiding hand. It requires a shepherd's guiding hand. From the day that this letter was first delivered on behalf of Peter to those churches in present-day Turkey, to this moment in time, whenever this letter has been read or heard by an individual or to a congregation, the last words heard before this command for wives to submit to their husbands are these words. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so now we have implanted in our minds the vision of Jesus as our shepherd before we hear this call to extreme obedience. The Holy Spirit could have inspired Peter to write other true words here, such as, you have returned to your Redeemer, the rescuer of your souls. Or, you have returned to your King, the ruler of your souls. Or, you have returned to the Lion of Judah, the protector and defender of your souls. But Peter did not write any of those very true things. No, Peter writes this truth, that Jesus is the shepherd of your soul, of my soul. Our souls receive his guiding hand and his tender care because all of us, Scripture says, were straying sheep, wandering sheep. And so the shepherd comes to us to show us where the green pastures are, to show us where the still waters are because He loves our souls. They are precious to him. He comes to order our steps in his way because our souls are precious to him. Psalm 37 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he, the Lord, delights in that man's way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I like the New Living Translation. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Is that good news? This command comes to us from a loving shepherd's heart who loves our souls, that eternal that forever part of us, and he wants what's best for them. The Lord Jesus wants our homes to be well-ordered because he loves us, because he knows that we, like sheep, easily go astray. We wander from what is best for us. We wander away from what's best for others. 
We wander away from what presents the kingdom of God in all its beauty and glory to the world around us. So our soul lover knows the best thing for our souls and our families must be this. The husband is to be the head of the home and the wife must submit to him. Last week we saw that Jesus modeled this very order himself within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is equal, Jesus is, to the Father. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. And yet, in the work of redemption, a work that must be carried out, he submitted himself to his equal. And so Jesus knows how to shepherd our hearts in matters like these. To shepherd wives in submitting. To shepherd husbands in not abdicating their God-given role. To shepherd husbands in leading their wives with humility and granting them the honor that's due them. Jesus, our shepherd, has already walked the path before us. He walked by the green pastures. He walked by the quiet waters. He walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And now he sits at the table prepared for him because he dwells in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, our shepherd knows how to shepherd us through extreme obedience. The third observation is this. Extreme obedience is countercultural. Extreme obedience is countercultural. Peter gives more instructions to the wives in this passage than the husbands, not because women need more instruction than men, not because women stray more often than men, not because their lives are more disordered than the lives of men, but instead because they lived in a culture that made life difficult. They lived in a culture that was in many ways set against them. This infant faith called Christianity was on its way to radically improving the lives of women. Jesus honored women in a way his culture did not and never had. He included them in his very close band of followers. He elevated their status as we read earlier in the service this morning. When he honored Mary in front of all the disciples, Mary who did right, the disciples who did wrong, and he said that she would be honored whenever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world. A woman was the first witness of the resurrected Jesus. A woman was first to speak the good news that Christ had risen. The change would come for them slowly, culturally. Jesus said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how, and so it is. And so it will be for women. The gospel will bring change. 
The change may look imperceptible, but it will come. This is what Aristotle writes about what culture was like before the time of Jesus. Are y'all down with an Aristotle quote? He said that among the barbarians, which were all people who were not Greek, women women and slaves held the same rank. In Greek communities, the case was a little better, but even among Greek women, they occupied a very subordinate position. Simon Kistemacher writes in his commentary, in the middle of the first century when Peter was writing, a woman was expected to profess the religion of her husband. If the husband adopted the Christian faith, his spouse would have to do so too. But if the woman, the wife, became a Christian, her husband would consider her unfaithful to him and his pagan religion. So you see, for a husband who became a believer in Christ, there would be no repercussions for him. He would still be the head of the home. He could sit around the table and talk freely about his love for Christ and his love for the gospel. And there's nothing the wife could do but sit there and listen to it, whether she believed it or not. She could do no harm to her husband, but not so for the wife. If she became a believer in Christ, we don't know how they might have suffered at the hand of their unbelieving husband because they loved the Lord Jesus. And so that's why there is extended instruction here for the wives. They were operating culturally from a position of non-power, and therefore they needed the help of this extra instruction and encouragement for the woman who is equal in ability, equal in worth, equally made in the image of God, extra grace of special instruction is needed to live out the order of God that will show the glory of the kingdom of God. And this extra grace of instruction bears fruit. You heard it in the life of the Japanese woman. Now listen to it in the life of Augustine. He describes the faithful witness of his Christian mother, Monica, to his pagan father. He writes, and he's writing to the Lord, she served her husband as her master and did all she could to win him for you, speaking to him of you by her conduct, by which you made her beautiful. Finally, when her husband was at the end of his earthly span, she gained him for you. Is that beautiful? You see, God's order brings about a quiet, yet an equally radical revolution. Lives are radically changed by the gospel, reclaimed by the gospel, elevated by the gospel. Our culture believes revolution can only come by tearing down, by violence, by destruction. It usually fails, but God's order never fails. Do you believe that? God's order never fails. Do you believe that? Augustine's mother, the Japanese wife, are the evidence. 
First and foremost, they loved the Lord and they were his devoted disciples. Secondly, they loved their husbands and wanted their souls saved, and so they were countercultural. They ordered their lives not as culture told them to do, but as the Lord told them to do, and they reaped the harvest and received the longing of their hearts. And so the extended instruction for women, for wives, is to grace them with God's truth and God's order in their most difficult situation. It does not free them from the situation, but shows them how to thrive and delight in God in the midst of extreme obedience. And that's true for every single one of us in this room, because at some point in your life, perhaps at many points in your life, extreme obedience is going to be required. We cannot imagine ahead of time how God might work when these three observations become realities in our lives. When we have not a self-serving, self-centered perspective on life, but a kingdom of God perspective. When we hold out our hands to Christ, our shepherd, and say, You love my soul. Lead me through extreme obedience to your kingdom. And the glory that will be on the other side. And when we say, I love your kingdom, Lord. I seek it above all else. And I will extremely obey you for the sake of it. Even when it goes against the stream of culture. And the rights my culture says that I should claim for myself. When we live our lives by the order of God. We cannot imagine the work that God might do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would surprise us by your mighty kingdom work when we, your people, will extremely obey your word. When we have that kingdom perspective, when we take your hand, Lord Jesus, as a shepherd and the lover of our souls, And when we are brave enough through the strengthening of your spirit and the truth of your word to stand against the culture and to say, for me, it is now and will always be God's way and God's order. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.